The You Disciple Podcast, where we explore the ins and outs of university life and unpack what it means to be a disciple on campus. I'm Father Nicholas Pierce. And I'm Sister Mary Hallard. And it's so good to see you again, Sister. You too, Father. And to be joined today by Jacob. Jacob, Hi. good to see you. <laughs> to see and you. Silvana, welcome back to the You Disciple podcast. I'm glad to be back. It's um, it's been a big week, um, and we're glad to had to spend some time together. Um, how's Lent been going? Lent's been pretty amazing, actually. I think like a few ups and downs, but um, I think the Lord's really inviting me into like a, a deeper intimacy with Him. Um, really through prayer, just really, he's really invited me to spend more time in prayer before him and the Blessed Sacrament. So, um, but yeah, it's been great. It's been tough though. Like I find Lent has those prickly elements and then has the, the really kind of sweet, um, beautiful growth areas. Yeah. I had a great time at uh, Soup and Stations. It was amazing. Packed out. Couldn't get a seat at the table. So just those lovely is it local practices. Parish, is local it? parish. Wonderful. Packed out. Mostly young people. So it was really great. Beautiful. That's so good to see. I think my Lent's been full of um, so many wonderful moments of just reflection, but also moments of, you know, coming back and realising where's the Lord calling and where's he asking of me at this Lent and how can we best sort of um, grab onto that with the Lord. Lovely. I had a bit of a break from Lent this past weekend. Um, I was in Adelaide uh, for the ordination of two young men to the priesthood. So it was a really great weekend. So um, And lots lots of people from Melbourne because they studied here in the seminary here in Melbourne. So lots of us went across. Um, so it gave us a little bit of a reprieve from our Lenten penances. So, so we have two new fathers. What are their names? Uh, Father Oleg and Father Anthony. So wow. um, uh, Father Oleg is Polish or Polish heritage and a great devotion to St. John Paul II. Wonderful. Um, and Anthony is from an Italian background. So um, a really beautiful celebration for the church in Adelaide, um, but also for the church in Australia, two very young priests. Um, and finally, I think I am now well beyond being the youngest priest um, oh, that went away a country. long time it ago, did, Father. But I was going to say. People still, <laughs> people still find it in Google. Right. Like, oh. I go to give Don't a talk. Trust Google. And they Google your bio oh. and they find something. So I, I still occasionally am a, introduced as the youngest priest in Australia, but I have to sort of get up and say. Father, can have I Have you ask? seen me lately? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you look great, but, you know, definitely not oh. the youngest priest in Australia. Wow. Wow. That was terrible. Can I ask, Father? Yeah, get us off this topic very quickly. <laughs> How old were you when you were ordained? I was so um, Oleg is twenty six. I was twenty six when oh I was ordained. Wow. So, um, okay. so it feels like a long time ago. Sometimes I feel like Father Daniele Russo was pretty young. Also. Yeah, it's it's been passed on a few times, but right. it was it was nice to watch a, nice a twenty six year old yeah. get ordained yeah. again. I was like, I'm pretty sure you're the youngest in the country. So. Yeah, incredible. Wow. Wow. Is that is that rare to be ordained at twenty six? Um, it's probably becoming a little mm. rarer, but mm. I think yeah. it really just depends. I was lucky. I, I felt the call of the Lord early mm. in my life. Um, and the Lord put people in my path that really helped me discern that um, sort of with a certain amount of speed and sincerity and yeah. um, 
I also was being thrown out of a rental house and I decided, <laughs> well, oh it's a good time to go, so let's go and the yeah. rest is history. Yeah. So Do you find, I find when I attend the, um, sisters making their vows, final vows, it renews my own vocation. Do you find the same going to ordinations? Yeah, it is. It's it's quite lovely and it's um, it's wonderful. There's a, ri- there's a part of the rite of ordination which is um, where you uh, give the sign of peace. Mm-hmm to all the priests and it's it's a really beautiful moment because and I remember that from my own ordination because it's when you really sort of get this sense that you're part of the presbyterate um so I think that's the bit um that's the bit I I don't want to I didn't get too emotional but that's the <laughs> bit that I I um I, I remember the most I think mm-hmm. from my own ordination that's the part I was more terrified about I had to hug every sister in the community how you doing I am not a hugger yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no. Oh well, no. that 300, ca- 300 hugs. 300 hugs. <laughs> <laughs> all in one day. <laughs> that can be a topic for another podcast because okay. it, um, in the Rite of Ordination, it's a sign of peace. Exactly. And it's, a, mm. it's a very liturgical action. Very lovely. But there's mm. a bit like Ash Wednesday and there's a whole variety of uh, ways in which priests give ashes on the forehead of people. Mm. Um, there's a whole variety of ways which, which with which priests um, give the sign it's of peace. It's true. Same yeah. thing, yes. Mm. I'm not a hugger as well. No. So um, I... I wasn't petrified by it, but um, <laughs> I gave the very strong sign of peace. But that's a topic for another podcast. Okay, mm. peace because be with you. Yes, we've got um, something really exciting to do. We've this been week. waiting and waiting for this. This is week one. Week one of the next three weeks as we we continue on this Lenten journey, um, and we're going to do a bit of a deep dive over the next three weeks um, into this wonderful little book by Father Jacques Philippe called "Time for God." Um, and if you haven't read it, um, we really like we've chosen it as a as a great Lenten book because it's it's really um it's clear and concise, simple, but also really, really rich. So um we're gonna tackle it over the next three weeks. So reach out. You can get copies on Kindle. Um if you're a student here in the Archdiocese of Melbourne, reach out to your discipleship officers or chaplains. Um Sister Mary Helen's giving them away. Um with Father Nicholas's money. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Father Nicholas. Um, but get your hands on a copy and follow along as we um spend the next few weeks of Lent looking at prayer and in particular mental prayer. <laughs> You're listening to the You Disciple Podcast, where we put the you in disciple. So I think we should start with this quote that was in uh, the great article we read last week by Andrew Lamalu, when he said... The voice of the podcast. The voice of (laughs) the You you Disciple. Uh, Mental prayer is the source of true happiness. Whoever practice it faithfully will not fail to taste and see that the Lord is good. Great motivation. Beautiful. It's a challenging one, though, because not everyone knows about mental prayer. Um, it's, it's something that, well, I definitely wasn't taught about mental prayer at high school. So I, I, I can't imagine that, it's even, that Catholic schools have changed much in the mm. last 15 years since I finished at high school. Yeah. Um, Jacob, you went to a Catholic school. Mm. I'm no, no naming and shaming here, mm. but like, what do you know about mental prayer? What, or what, how's it taken a part of your life so far? Um, I think, oh yeah, I, I was never really taught about mental prayer, even at home in catechesis, but also never at school. Um, it's something that I've definitely developed over the last sort of 24 months, I suppose. 
um, in better understanding myself and my place in relationship to God has really been born out of this practice of mental prayer. Um, but as I said, it, it, it's not taught and it's not e- not necessarily something easy that comes to you easily, you know. So I think it's, but it's a really good practice to get into. It's also sort of something that, and Father Jacques mentions this in the book, it's a solitary act, which I think is a really interesting mm. one. Um, but we, there's lots of prayer that we do as a, as a community, liturgical prayer, devotional prayer. Um, we can sing, we can read the scriptures together. Um, and these are generally, when we think of prayer, the first things we think of prayer. But then this idea of, okay, well, if I want to go deeper in my prayer life, how do I engage in what we call meditation or mental mm. prayer? Um, it's, it's, it's a solitary act. And that's not always easy. No. Right. Yes. It, it requires some silence. Yeah. Mm. How much silence is in your day, Silvana? <laughs> <laughs> it's increased over time. There you go. Yeah. yeah. But you have to intentionally punch silence into your life, right? Yeah. And so to think we're going to arrive at prayer and be all ready to listen to God when we have no other silence in the rest of our day is not mm. going to work either, right? Yeah. And one of the other tricky things is is that we, we we flick through these words of mental prayer and meditation. So sometimes we can also get tripped up into what mental prayer actually is. Silvana, in in your experience, like what does mental prayer look like? Mental prayer for me looks like spending time with the Lord where I'm actually able to receive from him but also converse with him. Mm. For me, that's what that looks like. So um, it kind of like I guess there's like a, almost like a stripping away of any kind of structure that maybe praying the liturgy of the hours might provide. Um, but it's it's really kind of sitting with the Lord and um, being with Him. And I think that in that it can be quite uncomfortable because mm-hmm. of the silence one it requires. But then the solitude because we are doing it mm-hmm. alone. But Solitude doesn't mean that you are lonely because the Lord is always with us. And it's it's diving deeper into that relationship with the Lord in a way that um, we may not have been able to do in other forms of prayer. Yeah. The trick is, and Father Jacques mentions this in his first chapter, is that when we approach mental prayer, we often think it's something that we have to do. That, okay, now I'm going to sit down to pray. But he makes it really clear from the beginning that prayer and mental prayer in particular, unlike the other forms of liturgical prayer, isn't something that we do, but it's something that God does in mm. us. Right? Yeah. Yeah, that posture of receiving, that we are going to be open to the gifts that God is desiring to pour out mm. of us. Um, I think it's really helpful in this to think of Our Lady uh, we're coming up to her Annunciation and it's a perfect kind of disposition you see in all the artwork. There she is sitting probably with the scriptures open, uh, just sitting quietly. Her whole posture is open. Her head is bowed, she's humble, and she's ready to receive and to receive nothing else but Jesus Christ himself in her, her womb, in her heart at first, and in her womb um, uh, through which we all will receive him. Um, so this this totally engaged in 
in this conversation with the Lord, uh, totally ready to commit her life to what he's going to ask or propose, but ultimately receiving a gift. But that's all very nice, sister. Oh, thanks. I'm going to play the devil's advocate here. Sure. But the the active, busy uh, student uh, boy in me <laughs> wants to know what to do. And mm. I, I like I think this was my battle with mental prayer for many years was, okay, that's fine. I'm going to receive, Lord, but now I have to do something. Mm. Mm. And as soon as you sit down to pray, the temptation is to then want to do something. Right. Um, because that position of receptivity is a really hard one. Right. Um, and so I think the first real lesson is that we have to get comfortable with just receiving. Mm-hmm. Um, and for those of us who are who are pretty active um, and perhaps a little um, slow on the attention span sometimes and always looking for the next thing, um, you actually really have to learn to slow yourself down. Yes. And mm-hmm. just to be willing to waste time with God mm-hmm. and let God work in you. And Father Jacques speaks about this in, in chapter one, that prayer is a grace. It's something that God gives you right. as a gift. Mm-hmm. It's, it's gratuitous. Right. Yeah, because there's a temptation these days to try and make a moment. Uh, mm. So you have all these people doing yeah. all these other random practices, spiritual things, but are not religious things, which basically means I'm in control. I can turn this on and off. I can get better at some perfect mm. technique that's going to make this you know, a meaningful moment for me. But that all goes out the window when we're talking about Christian prayer, mm. where we're entering in a relationship with someone. and He has all the initiative and all the, the gifts to give. Jacob, what's your experience of prayer like? Um, it's It's been sort of um, difficult at times, but also really fruitful at other times. And I think the trick is that God isn't going to necessarily um, sort of answer your prayer in the way you think he, he's going to. And often in mental prayer, especially, it's not about sort of asking for something, but it's about sitting with him. And that's really tricky. Like sitting with God is like it's scary because we don't know what the outcome is and we don't really know what why we're exactly doing it or what we're doing at the time but we just but if you sit back and go okay god just i just want to receive i just want to just want to listen um it can be so fruitful in other parts of your life where you go oh i just need that bit of silence or i need that bit of god to sort of work within me and within others Mm. And I think this is where it makes it different to some of those other spiritual, in inverted commas, um, practices because it's not actually about centering ourselves on ourselves Mm. um, or getting something perfect or right or putting ourselves um, first. It's actually about emptying ourselves so that God can fill us to a certain degree. And so creating room to receive the gift. Um, Someone once said to me, like, you can't receive a gift if your arms are already full. Yes. So what do I have to let go of? What do I have to free myself of in order to receive what God has on offer to us? I'm just going to flag it. <clears throat> Sorry, for those of you who have the book, check out the footnote on page 11 because it's really, really handy to understand what exactly is the difference between Christian prayer and other sorts of meditative techniques that are out there, um, different new age things, different yoga things. It's, it's an excellent footnote, so have a read of that. 
He also mentions on page 11 that one of the subtle temptations in the spiritual life is to rely on our own efforts. Yes. And not to rely on God's mercy. So I think he really drives home this point that if we want to do Christian prayer, if we want to open ourselves up to what the Lord is offering, that we have to, first and foremost, trust that the Lord is there and that he wants to give it to us. And that there's this... Um, beautiful line he uses from St. Teresa where he says, the whole edifice of prayer must be focused on humility. Which, of course, is not a, is not a popular sort of um, theory or, or, or approach or condition or disposition of, of today's world. Mm-hmm. To Absolutely. be truly humble. Mm-hmm. Our focus then in mental prayer needs to be on on finding that humility on creating that space in our life so if we are going to focus when we sit down to pray and pray um deeply on anything it's not what do i do next but it's like what am i what what am i and what 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 are the conditions i'm creating myself what are the necessary conditions for prayer and how do i how do i acquire he says deepen and then keep the dispositions of the heart that are necessary for prayer. Exactly. Silvana, have you got any, um, like when you go to prayer, like practically, so say you you're a university student, you're in a chapel, um, what's one, one thing that you do um, when you're sitting down to pray to, to prepare yourself to be open to what the Lord might be wanting to say to you? One key thing I think for me, because when you step out of the craziness of the world, it's like how can you actually just be still? Um, and that beautiful line from Scripture, be still and know that I am God. And I think for me it's that um, entering into a space, a chapel or a church that is quiet and still and basically trying to kind of, I guess, forget about the worries or concerns or just kind of be in the presence of the Lord. And it's just acknowledging that he is there. Um and being present to him. And I think that's probably how I start really. Um, but it's a gradual kind of process in that I need to, it, it's not easy to um, unload. And a lot of the time I do unload on the Lord. Like that's what I do. Um, so it would have to be the environment that I'm in um, and creating that space to be still. And I think this is where we do see some similarities with some, some of these other practices, including things like mindfulness. Like that first sort of move can be that thing of, okay, this is how I'm feeling. I, n- I know um, like I've just stepped out of the world. I've stepped out of the busyness. I- I'm carrying all of these things to prayer. So we can be attuned to those things mm-hmm. in our body and in our, in our soul, but we need to move through them because, and this is what Father Jacques points out, is the first real disposition of prayer is faith. And in that, it's an acknowledgement that God was there before you were there. Yes. That I okay, I come in and this is how I'm feeling and this is and but God was there. Yes. Waiting for us. No matter how we were feeling, no matter what we brought in, he was there. Yeah, I remember when I, I did a net a long time ago and we would have a one 
national evangelization teams for those who don't know. So we had an hour of personal prayer and I loved prayer. I love the Lord. Clearly I wouldn't have done it otherwise, but I was like an hour on my own mm. every day. Uh, and I got myself up and I went to the church and I sat down and that was the key thing for me. It was, I was reading at the time some centuries of Avila. I really like her. And she really got it for me. She said, even the desire to pray is God has already put that desire in you. So mm. when you get to prayer and you feel like he's not there, you're only there because he has called you there. And so the conversation has already started. Mm. Uh, and so I've always seen that as a grace. And I remember when I was trying to be consistent in prayer and I was like, please, Lord, help me desire to pray more than to goof off over here and listen to music. Um, just give me the desire to pray. Call me to prayer. Um, so, And this is where we can um, very quickly, if we get in there and then it's like me, 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 we've already started to flip the relationship and we're coming from, we're coming from behind yes. almost. So, yes, we when we enter into prayer, we enter in with, with everything that we bring to the Lord. But one of those first dispositions is sitting there going, okay, Lord, you're here. Yes. You called me here. And you will give me all the grace necessary for, for being here in this moment. And I think sometimes that can be really freeing. Um, I think... I, I definitely can sit down to prayer sometimes and think I have to tell the Lord everything that's going on in my life. <laughs> mm, the, the Lord knows. Yeah. He knows. Yeah. He knows already. It's like, it's like, okay, we'll do this for 15 minutes, but I already know this. I just want to be with you. Mm. Um, and sometimes, yeah, we just, we forget that he is the one who has called us. Yes. He's given us that grace. Yeah. I think as well, if we look at any type of relationship, we want to, be with the other person. Mm. Um, so it's no different to the Lord wanting to be with us. Like he calls us and it's that um, almost that like magnetic pull towards the tabernacle, um, towards Christ. It's, it's like he wants to be with us and so it's his initiative and we're responding to that. Um, but I think if we look at it in light of other relationships, I'm like okay, like because – the Lord is is real and I think that's something that because we often don't see him that we kind of think it's a little bit more removed and I think he He wants to spend time with us um, in a really deep way that I think we'd probably even be able to comprehend on mm. this earth. Yeah, I want to bring something up here because he speaks about this later in the chapter and he says one of the challenges of prayer is sometimes we look at the lives of the saints mm. and you might already be listening to this podcast and going, Look at these guys. They know mental prayer. But every time I go, it's an absolute travesty. And it's like we can very easily and quickly become discouraged because we read the lives of St. Teresa of Avila or I love St. Teresa of Lisieux. Um, but that line um, of hers, I look at him and he looks at me, used to drive me crazy at the seminary <laughs> because it was beautiful, but I was a long way from I look at him, him looks at me. It's He looks at me and I get distracted. Like that was mm. my line. So... Um, Father Jacques points out really quickly, like mental prayer is something we work at mm. over a long period of time. And that first discouragement of I'm not holy enough or I don't get this or I'm not like the lives of the saints um, is one of the greatest temptations of the devil. Mm. So I just want to throw that in right now You're because right. we're 23 minutes in and people might have turned it off and gone, do you know what? These guys, 
They don't get me. Well, no, we get you because this is actually something that takes work. And this is the second disposition that he speaks of in this first chapter, and that is this idea of fidelity. Um, we've got to be faithful to prayer. It's got to be something that we put high on um, our priority list and that the quality of our prayer comes from our fidelity to it, not from how we felt about it. Yes, and I think anyone who's ever had a conversation about prayer and they're like, yes, I, I'm really committed, I really want to convert, I want to change my life, and then you know, they pray for three hours one day and then nothing for the rest of mm. the week, so exhausted, and it's just really out of, out of balance. Mm. But the idea of just making the commitment, making the, I think the, the concept of I actually can do nothing without him, convinced, totally convinced, I can do nothing without God. So I need God every day and he wants to meet me every day. I'm going to meet him, whether it's it's five minutes, but it's going to be every day. Once we make that commitment, everything changes. And it's, you know, but it, it has to be every day and short. Mm. And slowly go from there. Um, one thing that Father Jacques points out is that, yeah, as Father Sister, as Sister Mary Helen said, um, three hours once is is great, but it's also, it's not consistent. And if we don't build a consistent framework, even if you're doing that five minutes every day and even if it's really distracted and you feel like you're not really achieving anything or, you know, you're feeling discouraged, that's still great because you're doing it every day and you're letting God into your life each day. So the first battle is turning up Mm. and and being there and the second battle is staying there. So uh, in the seminary, we do the, at the end of my first year, we did the 30-day spiritual exercises. And so one of the lessons of St. Ignatius Loyola of that is that the devil um, will try to trick you to leave your prayer early. So if you get there, you've you've won the first battle. The second battle is staying. And so say you've 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 said to the Lord, I'm going to give you ten minutes every day. You'll get to the seven minute mark, and the devil will say, or your phone will ring. You <laughs> know, the challenge of Who using your phone, phone to pray is mm. that you get your notifications, and so. Um, St. Ignatius of Loyola says that if the devil tempts you to leave your prayer three minutes early, stay three minutes longer. I'm like, I'm never going to leave the chapel. (laughs) (laughs) But there is this real sort of temptation of the devil. And this comes from the fact that he knows how powerful this time is going to be between you and the Lord. He knows it will be the most powerful time in your day if you stick at it. Especially if you stick at it when it's bad or dry, or arid, because that's that real humility. That's that acknowledgement that I, I committed to the Lord 10 minutes, I'm here for 10 minutes, it's four minutes in, this is horrendous, but I'm going to stay here for the Lord for the next six minutes. Like That is more valuable to the Lord than when it's it's all glory and praise and sort of rainbows and, and kittens <laughs> and all the rest. So mm-hmm. being able to stick it out. I had the pleasure of being on a retreat with Father Jacques Philippe a few years back, and he said to us and a group of young people in the chapel, just remember every time you sit down to pray, someone sits next to you. And all these young people sort of smiled and were like, oh, it's the Lord. And he's like, no, in his French accent, it is the devil. <laughs> because he knows how powerful this prayer is for you, if you are faithful to it, he will sit there and he will tell you every possible lie to get you out of your prayer time, whatever it is you've said. And so even if it's five minutes, you'll get distracted at four minutes. Like, this is what he'll do. 
he'll make you think that there's there's so much more important in your day than this time of prayer. Father Jacques in the book obviously then goes on to speak about purity of intention. And so when we sit down to prayer, it's that we we really understand what it is that we're doing. And I think that sort of carries on. I'm not there for myself. I'm not there to to feel good. I'm there actually to to worship the Lord. Yeah, I think it, that the purity intention and the continually showing up, it's all part of fidelity, which is really rare on any level at the moment in society. Um, for f- we are sorely lacking testimony of fidelity in love. And so actually prayer is an incredible training ground in how to love, uh, in purifying. I'm here for you. I am here because I, you know, I'm directing myself to you. I'm not here for what other selfish reason or mm. some vanity reason. Look at me, everybody. I'm sitting here praying. No. Uh, I, to purify, for, bleh, purify my intention to be there for him and to be there consistently for him. And that is working a, a, a real conversion in my, my life that is binding me to the Lord more and more strongly every day. He says that, those who sit down to pray to fulfill themselves will soon become disappointed. Of course. And as soon as it doesn't work, then they will stop doing it. So we have to purify why we're going to prayer. I'm going to prayer to tell the Lord that I love him. Mm-hmm. And that's enough for me. This is why I'm going. And from that, and again, don't we don't want you to think that prayer is always going to be horrendous. <laughs> but if, if we go with the right intention... We're going to be less disappointed when it doesn't fulfill what we think it we want it to be. But also it's going to be so much more glorious when we, we receive those moments of consolation and spiritual fruit. It's true. I think you can see, I don't know, Jacob, if you see in your life, when you see a consistent pattern of prayer, you see a change in your the way that you live? I think so. Um, one thing that I, that I sort of get out of of mental prayer is the sort of reminder of the virtues and a reminder that in each interaction I have, how can I bring it back to God and, and, and sort of the way I interact with people. It's mm. like how I try and express my sort of love for God almost. Yeah, you know, beautiful. it's like, oh, I, you know, I'm chatting with this person and I've got this sort of, you know, in the back of my mind, I've got all these things running through my head about what I want to talk about with that person or how I'm feeling. But I just remember, hey, I'm here for this person. Um, and I feel like that's one of the fruits I feel I get from some mental prayer mm. is that you can go into these interactions with, with that at the, at the forefront. Yeah, beautiful. Silvana, one of the other challenges about prayer is that when we were talking a bit earlier about being alone, which also means that we're alone with ourself, which can't, uh, doesn't always um, come easily. It doesn't always sit well. Uh, so this this sense of humility means that we have to be able to like our own company and like ourselves. How does that go for you? <laughs> oh, <my> big question. <laughs> Sister, you'll laugh. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a good question because I, I think um, it's it's going to be really hard to be able to sit with the Lord by yourself. Um, if you struggle to like yourself or appreciate yourself. Mm. And I think for me, um, what's really helped is allowing the God to re- 
and allowing God to reveal to me who I am. So where my identity lies, um, which is first and foremost and always will be as a beloved daughter of the Lord. So um, I think for me that's where kind of um, – and he loves me no matter what I do, no matter what I've done, um, even time and time again when I fall, going back to him in prayer. I think that's something I've also struggled with and, and Father Jacques talks about it in Chapter 1 is when we fail the Lord through sin, we – might cease to pray. Um, and what we are doing is actually depriving the Lord of our presence <laughs> and the gift that he, he wants to spend time with us. And um, But what we should be doing is actually leaning more into prayer um, because we need that to convict our heart mm. that we are still loved even though we failed. And that's the greatest trick of the, of the, the evil one as well. It's like, okay, well, I've, I've fallen, I've sinned, I'm broken, I'm not perfect – Therefore, I will not pray. And it's like, well, no, that's how the Lord calls you. He wants you in that space. He needs you in that space. And the the Prince of Lies will will tempt you away from prayer, away from the sacraments, away from the life of the church when you need them the most. I think um, he, he touches on this in the chapter as well. And I think this is where it's important that we remember that for prayer to be fruitful, we need to be willing to do some work on ourselves outside of prayer. So if we don't love ourselves, if we don't know ourselves, if we don't um, appreciate who we are in the eyes of God, then it's going to make prayer really hard. So it's where um, it works both within that moment of prayer, but what are we doing through the rest of the day? Like, what are we listening to? What are the voices? What's God telling us about us? Um, what are we surrounding ourselves with for the other 23 hours and mm. 50 minutes of the day? Um, in order to make prayer fruitful as well. Yeah, and to not judge your prayer by the great thought you had or mm. didn't have, but prayer should be affecting our life. Uh, and so those go together. So when we spend time sitting under the gaze of the one who loves us, we are confirmed in who we are as beloved children of God. And then we take that disposition into the rest of our day. And so... Our prayer then affects our life. And so in the chapter, if you are reading along, Father Jacques goes on to address a few sort of common misconceptions about prayer. Um, can I pray while I work? <laughs> um, or like, I'm a person of charity, not of prayer. And I think that that was, as a, as a young man, was a big one for me. Um, I'm a good person. Uh, I'd rather be in a soup kitchen than I would be in a chapel. But he, he starts to unpack a few of those things and he says, fundamentally, without prayer, there can be no holiness. Right. Mm. How do you pray always if you don't pray? Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> mm. <laughs> and that our, our, our Christian life will end up being devoid of, of goodness if we can't find time to pray. And this is, again, where he says putting priorities first. And I always um, use the example of the Missionary of Charity Sisters. And I've had um, the pleasure over the years of spending some time volunteering with them and working with them and even living with them in some of their houses. And we see Mother Teresa's order as the, the, the bastions of charity of these, of these powerful women who serve the poor and their lives are given over to the service of the poor. What we don't see is they actually spend twice as much time in their chapel mm. before the Blessed Sacrament than they do serving the poor. And she calls them contemplatives in action. The very source of their ability to be women of charity comes from their deep and intimate relationship with the Lord founded in, in personal prayer and mental prayer. So we, 
we we need to do that. And he he writes this beautiful line in the book: "There can be no radical radical purification of our heart without mental prayer. Mm. Like we're not going to be saints yeah. if we don't spend some time with." With the one who makes the saints. Um, and I think we underestimate the power of prayer in overcoming sin um, and temptation as well um, and how instrumental it can be in our lives. Mm. Okay, I had an interesting story. Well, I thought it was interesting. changed my life. <laughs> I went on a retreat and I thought I was done and the retreat master comes and sees me in the hallway and he says, what are you doing? So I'm going outside. I'm done. He says, you're done. <laughs> so you get back in your room. This was, he was a bit strong. You get back in your room and you write down when, where, and what you're going to pray. And I was a bit taken aback. Like, who are you? But I did it and it changed my life because I then knew exactly where and when and what I would pray. This is the You Disciple podcast. For more information on what's happening on a campus near you, go to udisciple.melbournecatholic.org. Well, I'd like to say that's all we have time for, but we're over time. So (laughs) there's more than what we have time for, but luckily Lent is five weeks. So we've got three more weeks to keep unpacking this topic of prayer. So hopefully that's um, whet your appetites a little bit. Thank you, Silvana. Thank you, Jacob, for sharing with us today a little bit from your own experience. Um, Again, if you haven't got a copy of Time for God, you can either get it on Kindle or you can pick up a copy from your discipleship officers and chaplains on your campuses if you want to follow along with us. But otherwise, hopefully, um, our our Cliff Notes version of his his, uh, spiritual classic is... uh, can it be a spiritual classic if he's still alive? I was thinking the same thing. Probably Father. not. <laughs> modern it's spiritual. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. on it. Modern, modern spiritual work. Um, hopefully, hopefully you got something out of it. And I think final words about prayer. What would you encourage people to do in the week ahead as part of Lent? I just say, commit to five ten minutes of prayer each day and just keep it consistent. Yeah, Dominican wisdom: pray and keep at it. Yeah, I agree with Silvana, five to ten minutes every day. Great. Thanks, everyone. Hope to see you around campus. God bless. Whether you've been listening to us on the tram, in the library, or on your way to class, thanks for listening to this week's You Disciple podcast. Share, like, and subscribe, and we hope to see you on and around campus. The You Disciple Podcast is a production of the Catholic Archdiocese of Melbourne.